0: United and Southwest flight attendants picket at O'Hare and Midway, respectively, as labor tensions are reportedly on the rise at airlines. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Ali Moradi about some beverage news, specifically about a new winery opening in the city and about a Chicago craft beer incubator program expanding to a large space in Milwaukee.
1: So what this place does, Pilot Project, is they select basically portfolio companies They brew the beer for them using their recipes. Then they deliver all the sales data to help the brewers kind of decide what's going to do well, what they should focus on, where they should focus it, all that good stuff.
0: I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, September 28th. At Wintrust Community Banks, you're more than just another account number. No matter your stage of life, Wintrust dependable bankers are as dedicated to your financial success as you are. After three decades of serving communities across Chicagoland, Wintrust has built its reputation on exceptional customer satisfaction and a strong local presence. That's why Wintrust is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in retail banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. Visit Wintrust.com slash J.D. Power to learn more about Wintrust's award-winning banking experience. Members FDIC. For JD Power 2022 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. I'm joined by Cranes reporter Ali Moradi here to talk about, well, we're talking about drinking today, Ali, because there's a lot of booze news. Um, so, City Winery is opening a new location, and also there's some beer incubator news. Where would you like to start?
1: Let's start
0: with wine. Do it. Okay. So City Winery is opening a new location in River North. Tell me
1: about this. So it's actually Chicago Winery. They're not affiliated with City Winery. um, But I'm glad you brought that up because it was, um, you know, confusion that I had at first too. Their names are very similar. Chicago Winery is actually from this restaurant group that got its start in New York, and this will be their third location. They've got one in Brooklyn, one in Washington, D.C., and now this upcoming one in River North. And the interesting thing about it, I think, is that they actually make all of the wine there. I love that. Yeah. And you'll be able to see everything. I went in, you know, a few days ago and looked at it. It's all under construction, but they prioritize the winemaking operation that's sort of in the back so that they could get in on this year's grape harvest, which is happening right now. So, I was able to sort of see the process, you know, the Malbec grapes that were fermenting, the Sauvignon Blanc that was being fermented chilled, you know, in one of the fermentation tanks, and some of the Chardonnay that was aging in barrels already. And they were able to show me, you know, here are the big windows where people will be able to see in. The idea behind it is to kind of give more people access, you know, and being an urban winery, giving them access to seeing that winemaking process because. In a lot of cases, you got to travel to you know, Napa, California, mm-hmm. somewhere in Oregon, wine country somewhere, right, to see that happen. So this is going to be right here in our own backyard.
0: And you don't think about wine being made here in Chicago at all. You think about it being brought in from somewhere else. I mean, there are wineries in the area, but you don't think about it happening in the city.
1: Totally. And there are, you know, you mentioned City Winery, right? They do do this as well over in the West Loop, and they're the ones that have that big outpost on, river, or on the Riverwalk. And I talked to an expert about this and asked about this sort of competition that we may see here, if there will be consumer confusion, that sort of thing. And she said, you know, actually, if you think about when you go to wine country, you usually vineyard hop or winery hop, you know, you you go to more than one. So she said that this is actually going to be a really great thing for people that want to do that.
0: Super fun. And what's their timeline for opening up?
1: they're opening this fall and i've noticed that no restaurants are putting exact dates on things lately because construction and supply chain issues have just like sure. you know bungled everything but this will be a little bit of a phased opening once they do open they're going to start with sort of the restaurant they'll move into the tasting room then they do have an event venue there as well that will be the last portion of it and it'll all be open within 2 months of each other and they're hoping for this fall the w-
0: the wine may take a little longer though
1: Correct. So the wine that they are making there will not be available until sometime next year, right? Whites take six to eight months of aging and reds take longer, 16 to 18 months. So when they open, they will be pouring wines that were made at the two sister wineries in DC and Brooklyn. All
0: right. So now let's switch from wine to beer and talk about a Logan Square craft brewery, say this three times fast, craft brewery incubator that's expanding to Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, for sure. So Pilot Project Brewing is what it's called. It launched in Logan Square about three years ago. And what they do is they try to basically lower the barriers of entry for brewers. So if you think about it now, to start a brewery, you have to have a lot of money to buy a facility, to buy all that equipment. There are a lot of sort of contract brewing situations that go on now out there in the brewery world where people share equipment to try to keep the costs down. So what this place does, Pilot Project, is they select basically portfolio companies. They brew the beer for them using their recipes. Then they deliver all the sales data to help the brewers kind of decide what's going to do well, what they should focus on, where they should focus it, all that good stuff. So they've been cranking along here for a couple of years. They came in at a really important time because craft beer took a really big hit during the pandemic. Um you know, with bars closed, tap rooms closed, a lot of craft breweries sell their beer directly to those places because it's cheaper than canning, right, to sell a whole keg somewhere. So that sort of got rattled. They've been recovering, but it's been an uneven kind of rocky recovery the craft beer industry, which grew so fast for the past decade, growth has slowed a lot. It was slowing even before the pandemic. So having something like this, an incubator that can help the launch of these breweries is really helpful right now in particular. So the news here is that, you know, right now they can brew about 3,500 barrels a year at their facility in Logan Square They are taking over this facility in the brewery district in Milwaukee, which is poetic, right? Because there's, you know, a lot of beer history that happens there. It's actually an old Pabst facility. They're taking that over. It has 20 times the production capabilities as their space in Logan Square. So basically, they're going to use it as a jumping off point. When these breweries that they're incubating get big enough, they can move them up to this Milwaukee facility be able to brew a lot more beer and send it to a lot more places to basically facilitate national expansions.
0: And I know a lot of brewers were kind of looking at expanding into other stuff as hard seltzer became a thing and hard kombucha and things like that kind of all became a thing. Is that part of their thing too, or are they just focused on beer?
1: Yes, they do all of that. You know, um, they've they've launched a couple of the hard kombucha brands. Uh, Luna Bay is a big one. That's very well known. And they sort of are one that has graduated from their incubator and uh, has gone national. They're distributed in more than like 20 states now. So they do do that. And the, the brewers do that as well. They don't all just do beer. They do some of the hard seltzer, the hard kombucha, canned cocktails. Maybe I don't know if they do any of those, but um, you know that's kind of the next big thing. So we'll see there.
0: It sounds like the the benefit to the the smaller companies is that this incubator sort of helps them scale.
1: Totally. Yeah, that's sort of the point of this Milwaukee expansion, right? The Logan Square one was the launching pad, and then this is what's going to help them scale. Another thing that I think is interesting about this is that largely the craft beer industry skews white and male. And having something like this that does lower that barrier to injury basically makes it more affordable to start a brewery um, is going to help diversify. So they've had, you know, they have a black owned brand working their way through the incubator. Now they have an Indian led brand, a couple women founded companies as well. So that's, um, I think, exciting for a lot of people in the craft beer industry to see.
0: And so this expansion, I assume there was some fundraising going on to do that.
1: Yes, they raised eight million dollars to do this. Um, most of it came from Chicago-based investment group called InvestBev. So they are basically taking over this lease in Milwaukee. There was a, another brewer there, and there's also going to be a restaurant and a tap room, you know, like like there is in uh, Logan Square, as well as an event space.
0: You know, a, a long time ago, I feel like we were kind of talking about the the tap room business and how vital that was. What does that look like now at this point, pandemic wise?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked. I did some reporting on this um, a few months ago, and I mentioned that the recovery from the pandemic is a little bit lopsided. You know, there are some breweries I talked to here in Chicago specifically that made less money in 2021 than they did in 2020, just because they had a few strong months in 2020, whereas 2021 was, you know, up and down for them. It's just a problem for breweries that uh, you know lost a year's worth of revenue during the pandemic and still carry debt because growth isn't a given like it used to be in this industry. So, you know, it's just kind of getting more creative with what you're doing, um, thinking about how you're going to get customers to keep coming in and uh, keeping things exciting for customers because that's what will keep them engaged. Especially now, as we sort of our economy is salaciously flirting with a recession here, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: All right. Well, always a pleasure, Allie, especially always a pleasure talking about stuff people can drink. So we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thank you. Coming up, a Carvana executive faces criminal charges in Illinois. In mid-May, the Illinois Secretary of State filed several motor vehicle-related charges against the executive, who's identified on Carvana's Investor Relations website as the company's general counsel. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Greater Chicago Food Depository is facing elevated need right now. Food insecurity is above pre-pandemic levels with decade-high inflation making it even harder for our neighbors to afford groceries. And families with children are at greatest risk of hunger. Inflation and hunger affect us all because only a hunger-free community can truly be healthy. Let's rise to the challenge, Chicago. Please support the Greater Chicago Food Depository now by visiting chicagosfoodbank.org.
1: This is the Cranes Daily
0: Gist with Amy Guth. United Airlines flight attendants picketed at O'Hare and 14 other airports on Tuesday to highlight staffing issues that they say contributed to high levels of cancellations and delays this summer. Cranes John Pletz reported that airlines blamed a lot of their issues on challenges in getting pilots trained as travel demand came back from the initial impacts of the pandemic. Pilots from United and other carriers picketed earlier this month. A spokesperson for the Association of Flight Attendants, the union that represents about 24,000 flight attendants at United, said, quote, Our issue at United hasn't been flight attendant staffing. What United has lacked is staffing behind the scenes to get flight attendants where they need to be. Chicago is of course home to United Airlines, as well as being its third largest base for flight attendants. The union said United Airlines has delayed over 67,000 flights and canceled nearly 6,800 others since May 1st. A shortage of the schedulers and support staff results in flight attendants waiting on hold, sometimes for hours, in order to get rescheduled to work other flights, the union says but flight attendants' pay is based only on the hours they spend flying. Like the pilots and other groups at United, flight attendants also are in negotiations for a new contract. But they say the picketing over scheduling and staffing issues isn't related to contract talks. Southwest Airlines flight attendants, who are represented by the Transport Workers Union, also picketed Tuesday outside Midway and 10 other airports over delays in reaching a new contract with a Dallas-based carrier. In that case, the flight attendant's contract has been open for negotiation for four years. Let's noted in reporting that airlines relied heavily on support from the federal government to survive the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic in its early stages. Labor relations across the industry have become increasingly strained as the pandemic has eased somewhat, resulting in a surge of travel demand that airlines have struggled to handle. A long summer of disruptions and flight delays drew criticism from the White House and resulted in finger-pointing between airlines and the FAA and renewed calls for consumer-friendly regulation. And related to that, President Joe Biden is reportedly set to unveil new regulations designed to tackle persistent inflation by requiring airlines and Internet service providers to be more transparent about hidden fees. Bloomberg reported that a proposed rule requiring airlines to disclose more information about the fees they charge, like those levied on passengers for canceling a trip or for parents wanting to sit next to their children on a flight, will headline the package which the president is set to unveil at a meeting of the White House Competition Council on Monday. The president will also highlight expected FCC requirements for Internet service providers to offer a clear breakdown of fees and other charges, which Bloomberg described as being similar to the nutrition label found on food purchased at grocery stores also with the aim of helping consumers more easily comparison shop. And in the agricultural sector, the administration is proposing to strengthen competition rules in poultry and livestock markets. But the new airline regulations would require that carriers, travel agent, and online ticket portals display all costs related to baggage options, flight changes, and seat selection. That according to a press release from the Department of Transportation. Regulations that were imposed in 2012 require that carriers provide Provide generic information about the potential for additional fees, but it generally only includes ranges of costs. Airlines have opposed adding more specific requirements, arguing that doing so is too costly and not needed. As for Internet service providers, the White House also said action is expected in coming months on an FCC proposal for mandatory disclosure of broadband fees to help consumers easily comparison shop between Internet service options, which the White House said will promote competition and lower prices. Broadband providers and comments to the FCC said requiring too many details would confuse consumers and burden companies. Consumer advocates in their comments have said the industry's current disclosures are confusing as well as incomplete. Shortly after naming a new CEO and laying off hundreds of workers, GoHealth has closed on a $50 million private investment from Anthem Insurance and GH22 Holdings. Crane's healthcare reporter Katherine Davis, citing an SEC filing, reported that GoHealth, a Chicago based online health insurance seller focused on Medicare related plans, sold 35,000 shares to Anthem for $35 million and 15,000 shares to GH22 Holdings for $15 million. In a press release, GoHealth said the deal expands its shareholder base and enhances its balance sheet as the company focuses on driving cash flow in the near term. GoHealth also said the additional funding will help the company invest in new technology that allows it to expand its Medicare Advantage marketplace platform. Davis noted that the investment news comes after a rocky summer for the company, which has encountered problems with its business since going public in July of 2020 at $21 per share. In June, GoHealth co-founder and CEO Clint Jones was replaced as CEO by VJ Cott, a former executive at R1, formerly known as Accrative Health. Later in August, GoHealth laid off 800 workers, about 100 of which were in Chicago. A spokesperson told Cranes that the company now has more than 3,000 workers. A Carvana executive is facing dozens of criminal charges tied to the company's alleged motor vehicle licensing and records violations in the state of Illinois. Bloomberg reported that in mid-May, the Illinois Secretary of State filed several motor vehicle-related charges against Paul Breaux, who is identified on Carvana's Investor Relations website as a vice president and the company's general counsel since August of 2015. State court records show regulatory officials in a May 13th filing Charged him with 27 counts of failure to transfer vehicle titles by a dealership and 50 counts of improper use of titling and registration. Bro said in a statement provided by Carvana, quote, the state of Illinois has charged me because Carvana delivered a car to a customer's home. His statement continued, quote, This is surprising and confusing, both because it feels extremely anti-consumer and because I proactively met with several Illinois officials in 2017 to describe this exact practice, and they did not then nor have they since raised any concerns, during which time we've delivered tens of thousands of cars to Illinois homes. Carvana first came under legal scrutiny in the state in February when the Illinois Secretary of State's Police Department began investigating what it described as a slew of consumer complaints about the company's vehicle titling and registration procedures. Illinois Secretary of State Police Director Elmer Garza told Crane's sister publication Automotive News that the regulatory agency is holding Bro liable for Carvana's alleged actions in Illinois because he is a legal representative for the company and bears a degree of responsibility for maintaining its licensing agreement in the state. Regulatory officials in the May 13th filing also charged him with 2 counts of failure to comply with licensee's requirements to keep records and make inspections, 1 count of failure to comply with licensee's requirements to document evidence of right to possession, one count of failure to comply with licenses requirements on records for new and used vehicles, and one count related to maintaining records for special plates. In a separate filing on May 12th, the agency charged Bro with two counts of Carvana operating as an unlicensed used vehicle dealer. And in Illinois, failure by a dealer to transfer a title is a Class B misdemeanor that carries a penalty of up to six months in county jail and a maximum fine of $1,500. Improper use of titling and registration is a Class C misdemeanor that carries a penalty of up to 30 days in county jail as well as also a maximum fine of $1,500 plus any mandatory court costs. That according to an Illinois Secretary of State spokesperson who spoke with Automotive News.